This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you? Doing well. I, uh, you know, we're back into the winter time here, North Carolina. Fake, <laughs> fake out. It's spring. No, it's not. It's snowing. Uh. <laughs> that was a surprise last weekend. I was not expecting that. No, this is only in North Carolina with the snow wash away the pollen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, you know, just p- the price we pay to live in such a, a beautiful state. So. Yeah. Hey, it it makes things interesting. Well, speaking of interesting, we have a great show lined up today, and we're going to kick things off talking about legal documents and making sure our affairs are in order. We're going to get into a discussion on wills and trusts, and to do that, we've got on the line John Ross, and John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. This is great. Uh, y'all, uh, your show is, is Aging Matters, which is, which is kind of awesome because I, I hosted a radio show for seven years called Aging Insight. Oh, I Very like it. Very nice. Well, perfect. Yeah. Welcome back and, to uh, the radio. The, the, yes. the, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the COVID and everything, we couldn't get into the radio studio any longer. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of let it, we kind of let it die, uh, right there at, uh, at the beginning of 2020. But, uh, but yeah, did it, did it, uh, it was a live call in radio show for seven years, every Saturday. Wow. Uh, so lots of, it's a, it's a lot of fun though. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm excited about this show. My, um, my parents have actually been talking to me a lot about this. So uh, shout out to mom and dad. This show is for you. Um, I, I don't do many shows in, in for them. So this is exciting. <laughs> because John, uh, you're perfectly timed. So um, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Uh, let's start off with the basics. What is the difference between a will and a trust? And which one is better to have? Well, you know, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's actually a, quite a difficult question. One thing I get a lot of, people will call me up or, or come into the office and they'll say, they'll say, John, uh, do I need a will? Do I need a trust? Um, I don't understand the difference. I don't, I, I don't understand anything. And then they're often surprised by my answer because my answer will typically be, if, if you're talking about whether you need a will or a trust, my answer will be either both or neither. Ooh, explain. And that's, <laughs> right, right. And so all of a sudden, right, I've got your attention. <laughs> well, and, and so, for example, um, let's say uh, what, what you have to do is you have to understand the difference between how things pass at death, uh, what we call a probate transfer versus a non-probate transfer. So, mm-hmm. for example, Mary, if I named you as the beneficiary on my life insurance policy, mm-hmm. okay, I, I go get the policy, I write your name in, and I say, okay, that's, that's who the beneficiary is. Now, a couple of months goes by, though, right? And you don't write, you don't call, you don't accept my friend request on Facebook, you don't heart any of my little posts on Instagram. And, you know, come you know, come couple of months, I, I, you know what, I've got, you know what, I don't want Mary to get that life insurance anymore. But instead of changing the policy, I do up a will. And in my will, I say, I have this life insurance policy that's payable to Mary, but I don't want her to get one dime of it. I want all of my life insurance to go to Jason. 
Mm. I like the sound of this. <laughs> right? Right? Sound, sounded so good so far, right? And so I, I get the will, I get it signed, I get it witnessed, and I'm so happy I do all of this, I fall over dead. Now, we have a problem because we have a policy that names Mary. We have a will that names Jason, and I'm sorry, Jason, you lose. Mary, you win. No question about it. I'm used to it, John. The life, <laughs> that's right. But the life insurance is passing to you automatically according to the contract. Um, whether I have a will or don't have a will is actually totally irrelevant in this discussion. And, and so uh, that, that's what we would call a non-probate transfer. It passes automatically. Versus, let's say that I had a will. And in my will, I said, and, and, I, and I just had a house, right? The house is just in my name. Mm-hmm. And I did a will. And in my will, I say, I leave everything to Mary and Jason. Well, it's going to take two things for that will to be valid. The first is I have to die. Mm-hmm. That's generally pretty obvious, but you'd be surprised. People miss that one occasionally. Um, and then the, the second is no will is valid in any state in the United States until it has been admitted to a court following your death. Mm. And so if you want my house, y'all, after I die, you're going to hire an attorney, give them the will, they're going to file it with the court. Depending on whether you live in a rural area or a big city, you'll have a hearing somewhere probably between two weeks and six months later. You'll get appointed as my executor. As my executor, you're going to file an inventory of my estate. Here's what John owned. You're going to publish notice in the newspaper. That's to let everybody I owe money to know that now's their last chance to come get paid. Depending on which state you live in, you're going to have to give my creditors a period of somewhere between probably four to six months to file claims against the estate. And once that's done and you've paid the lawyer, the court, any of my creditors, you could now distribute the house to yourself. Well, that's a significant difference Mm -hmm. between just, say, showing up at the insurance company with your driver's license, getting a check and going home, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so what people often don't understand is what, you know, what, a, what a will does versus what it, it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. And so, so, for example, I might want to have my whole life pass automatically to my beneficiaries mm-hmm. um, without having to go through that court process. So what I might do is I might create a trust, which is just a stack of paper. But this trust is kind of almost it's like a legal bucket. Mm-hmm. And the, the cool thing about a bucket is you can fill it up. And, and so I, I have this trust, and I can put my house in the trust. I can put my bank accounts in the trust. I can put my investments in the trust. If I've got some rental properties, I can put those in the trust. And then I can say that whatever is in this trust, when I die, while I'm alive, it's mine. I can do with it whatever I want. I can party like a rock star. <laughs> but when I die, the, the very second I take my last breath, whatever is in this trust goes to Mary and Jason. And bam, my entire life is just automatically vested in the two of y'all. Um, that's a that's a much simpler, easier transfer of assets than say going through that entire court process with the will. Um, so if I want to have everything kind of planned on the front end, and 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 not put all the work on my heirs, then using something like a trust is going to be one of the one one way to do that. Kind of a, a one encompassing way of doing that. Um, but you know what? I might, something might slip through the cracks, mm-hmm. right? So I, I've got this trust. I've got my house in it. I've got my bank accounts in it. I've got all my stuff in it. But let's say that the reason I died was because I was killed by somebody out on the highway who was texting and driving. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. So, so they've, they've killed me in this car wreck. Well, the driver of that other vehicle, their insurance company is going to have to write a big fat check because they killed me in this car wreck. Well, you know, there's no way I can put that money into the trust before I die. Oh, okay. All right. So, so something could slip through the cracks, even something that I would have no control. There's no way I could pre-plan for that sort of contingency. So even though I'm using the trust as a, 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 an attempt to pass everything outside of that probate court process, I would still want to have a will as a backup. Now, it doesn't have to be a fancy will. It could be one page long, and, and basically the will say anything that's not in John's trust goes to John's trust when he dies and to whoever the beneficiaries are of that trust. Mm-hmm. Right? So nice little simple will. And so that's where I would say you know, one option would be you would have a trust with a will as a backup. So mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Right? But on the other hand, that may be overly complicated for, for some folks. Um, you know, I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of clients that you know, basically what they have is a house, they have a car, they have a bank account. Um, maybe they they even might maybe they have a little IRA, something like that. Well, you know, I could go call my financial advisor and name a beneficiary on my IRA. I could go over to the bank and I could name a pay on death beneficiary for my bank account. So that so now I've got a beneficiary on my bank account. I've got a beneficiary on my IRA. In many states, you can name a beneficiary on a motor vehicle uh, so that the title actually says it's John's car. But if he's dead, it's this person's car. And also in, in many states, you can name a beneficiary on real estate. Uh, so I practice in several different states, uh, Texas, Arkansas, uh, little in Oklahoma, little in Louisiana. Uh, and then I have clients uh, in, in, I've had some clients all over the country. Uh, and, and so, uh, but just as an example, Arkansas has a statute, what's called a beneficiary deed. And so it's just a deed that I could do on my house. It says it's my house, but when I die, here's who gets it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could I could go from 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 asset to asset, bank account to IRA to real estate to cars or whatever I have, and I could name beneficiaries on every single thing. And if I did, then when I died, all of those assets would pass automatically to my beneficiaries. In which case, I needed neither a will nor a trust. Very interesting. So there really is uh, a variety of scenarios that could apply. It really just depends on your situation and what you want to accomplish. We're speaking with John Ross. John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer, and we're discussing all things wills and trusts. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more with John. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line, is John Ross, and John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer. And Mary, we're talking all things 
wills and trusts. This has been a, a, a really cool conversation so far with John because he, you know, we asked, well, which one is better? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do we need to know about both? And John sort of laid out that, hey, sometimes either could be better. Sometimes you need both. Sometimes you don't need either of them. So uh, I, I think it's been a cool discussion so far, and we want to hop right back in because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for those who need to get some documents prepared and do some planning, maybe with a little bit more urgency, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that presents a, a different ball game there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of listeners on our show that are caregivers and caring for a loved one. John, talk to us a little bit. How do you protect the assets of an elderly or a disabled family member? Something that we um, experience a lot in, in the work that I do, you know, it becomes an emergency sometimes. And are you able to transfer assets to someone else so that you could help someone qualify for a nursing home with Medicaid? Talk to us a little bit about that environment of protecting the assets of an elderly or disabled family member just regularly, but also in the time of an emergency. Sure. And when you're, you know, any good estate plan for somebody is going to cover, the the first part of it is going to cover incapacity. If you don't have a plan for incapacity, it doesn't matter who you give your stuff to because you'll go broke before you ever die. And and so people uh, people have a tendency to forget that part, though, right? They get to retirement age and then they just like, oh, well, I need to get a will for when I die. Here's who gets my stuff. But given the the extraordinary cost of long-term care, um, you really do need to pl- have a plan for that. And, and in our practice, we, have, we see essentially two groups of people here. We have the people who are planning well in advance. You know, they're, they're, they're the healthy retirees, right? They're 65, they're 70, they're healthy. Um, they just want to get everything in order. And then we have what we call our crisis planning. These are the people who maybe their maybe their loved one is already in a nursing home or they're already paying private sitters and they're watching the savings bleed um, bleed out and and so with all of these the thing you've got to understand is that there's only three ways to pay for long term care you can be one of the very small percentage of the population that has long term care insurance that's about five percent of the population. What you'll often find is that the few people that do have long-term care insurance probably don't need it, and the reason they don't need it is because they've got so much money they can afford long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, you, it, the insurance itself is so expensive that often the people that can afford it don't need it because mm-hmm. they could just privately pay for their own care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, that's, that's option number two. Option number two is just to privately pay. One thing you hear a lot of is, well, if I go to the nursing home, they're going to take my house or they're going to take my money or they're going to take – that's, that's all just total false. There, there's not a nursing home in the country that's in the real estate business or the banking business. It's rent, right? If, if, I, go to the, if I go to the Holiday Inn tonight – it's going to cost me what maybe 200 bucks mm-hmm. for the night. Mm-hmm. And and when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to get free breakfast. <laughs> but if I were to go to the nursing home tonight, it's going to cost me give or take 200 bucks. I'm going to get a dinner tonight. I'm going to get breakfast in the morning. Somebody probably going to come give me a bath and then I'm going to have lunch and then they're going to ask for another 200 bucks, just like the Holiday Inn would. And I could stay at either one of them as long as I can pay 200 bucks a night indefinitely. It's just that most people can't. Now, one thing I would mention is if you're going to pay cash, one thing to do would be to see if there's more cash available out there. Um, One thing that a lot of people miss out on, just because they don't know, is veteran assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, if, If you have a veteran that was on active duty for 90 days, and one of those 90 days was during a designated period of war, 
Um, so Korea or World War II, Vietnam, or take me, I was in the Marines. And in 1990, they declared war in the Persian Gulf, and they haven't undeclared it since. That makes me a wartime veteran. No, I didn't go to Iraq. I didn't go to Afghanistan. That's, it's just, were you on active duty during one of those war periods? And if a wartime veteran needs somebody else's help with their daily living, feeding, bathing, dressing, stuff like that, there's a VA benefit program that can pay for a veteran with a spouse. I think it's like $2,200, $2,300 a month in additional income. Um, uh, if you're a single veteran, it's, I think it's about $1,800 a month these days. And if you're the surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, that's somebody who was married to the veteran at the time the veteran died, married for at least one year, and then not remarried, right? So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a lot of our, our widows and, and widowers out there that are were formerly married to veterans. And for them, this benefit is about, I'll call it uh, $1,300 a month. And take my, my wife's uh, grandmother, who just, just passed away this week. Um, but for the last seven years, she's lived in assisted living that she would not have otherwise been able to afford. You know, her $2,500 a month in Social Security and pension was not going to pay the $3,500 a month for the assisted living bill. But because she was the widow of a World War II veteran, um, she was able to get, we were able to get her an extra $1,300 a month out of the VA. That brought her $2,500 a month up to $3,800 a month, and now she can afford her assisted living. Uh, we looked at it. We, we actually just looked at it this week, and it looked like the, uh, the Veterans Administration had provided her almost $100,000 in assistance over the last several years. Um, and, and, and because of that, she has resources left. Mm-hmm. And, and resources that, that was really important to her that she'd be able to pass down to her kids. So that's one. The big one out there, though, is Medicaid. Medicaid is the only government program that pays directly for all of this sort of stuff. And, and Medicaid is a need-based program, so they're going to look at assets and, and determine whether or not your, your assets are below their limits. Now, I will say on the front end, we could, we could have a, a six-hour radio show and still not cover all of the technicalities of the Medicaid program. It's that complicated. Um, But generally speaking, you can have a home and qualify for Medicaid. Now, the the equity value of that home is going to vary from state to state, but at a minimum, it's going to be about $635,000. That's a big house. Um, That's a big house in most places, unless it's, uh, you know, Silicon Valley or New York City. But what you'll find is like in New York, the home equity value is over a million dollars. So you can have a million dollar house in New York and still qualify for Medicaid. Um, You can have a a car. You can have uh, you can have your burial paid for. And then depending on, again, state laws, there are there may be other things. So, for example, um, uh, farms, uh, active farms often don't count under the Medicaid rules. Uh, Texas for example, does not count IRAs towards your eligibility for Medicaid. Um, so I've had somebody with a two or three or $400,000 in a retirement account that's still eligible for Medicaid. The family never realized it. And in fact, they'd been privately paying, thinking that they had, quote, too much money. Um, so, uh, and then the rules completely change if there's a spouse at home. So if you have one spouse that's in the nursing home and one who's not, the spouse who's not in the nursing home uh, can often keep a significant amount of assets, and with just a little bit of, of, of tweaking around, 
oftentimes an unlimited amount of assets. Um, and so if I've got a crisis situation, I'm looking at where are they, right? Uh, you know, what, what, where are they? What do they have? Are they single? Are they married? Um, are they in a nursing home versus assisted living versus home care? And then we're trying to analyze their situation under these Medicaid rules. And it, it, inevitably, pretty much anybody that walks in, they're going to be over these limits in some way, shape, or form. And the first logical question is, well, can we just give it all away? Probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Medicaid, you can say, they're, they're faster than that, right? They've been around the block. They know better than this. Uh, they have a rule that says that if you give away any assets within the previous five years, mm. then that would create a penalty, basically a period of time where they won't pay for you because of that gift. And essentially, it runs uh, it, for, in most places, it's going to roll out to uh, a one month of disqualification for every roughly $6,000 that you give away. Um, and so if I gave you $6,000 today, and any time in the next five years I needed nursing home care, Medicaid wouldn't pay for the first month. Um, but like all laws, there's the law, but then there's the exceptions to the laws, and then there's the exceptions to those exceptions. So for example, that five-year rule does not apply if you're transferring assets to a child who's been declared disabled. Um, so, for example, I had a family, and, and mom's in the nursing home. There's four kids. One of the kids is receiving Social Security disability benefits from a work injury. Well, we were able to transfer all of mom's assets to the one disabled child. Mom's qualified for Medicaid the next day. And I don't know what they did with the assets, but presumably the disabled brother at some point shared it with his brothers and sisters or went to Aruba. I don't know. Um, that's That part, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't worry about that part. Uh, my care, my concern was for mom, but but that's an example of where you there are in some cases ways you can transfer assets. And again, some of this is going to be dependent on state law where you're at. Texas, for example, will allow you to transfer assets to college savings accounts, but Arkansas won't. Um, so you've got to look and see which state you're in and and what those rules are. Um, but I will say that there is almost no situation where with a little bit of planning, even in a crisis situation, that you wouldn't be able to save most, if not all, of the assets. You've just got to know the rules or you've got to have somebody that knows the rules and can walk you through them. Yeah, that's that's a big key. And getting an early start as well, making sure that uh, you're not trying to do this all during mm -hmm. a crisis because that will, again, limit your options and make things a little bit more challenging for you. We're speaking with John Ross. John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer, and we're going to continue our conversation with him regarding wills and trusts and legal documents and making sure that our affairs are in order right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. On the line, we have John Ross. John 
is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer. We're talking all about wills and trusts and our legal documents and making sure that our affairs are in order. And John, earlier on, we were speaking about, you know, which is better, a will or a trust. And we briefly got into an example that involved uh, beneficiary designations. And we want to kind of circle back to that because there's a lot of thought that needs to go into this, especially, you know, there could be some, uh, I don't know, particular family dynamics at play. So let's talk about this a little bit more. Sure. And and what, what, what y'all don't realize is we've actually already covered two of the three key concepts in any good estate plan. The first being having a plan for incapacity, which we just, we just talked about and planning for long-term care and how you're going to pay for it. The second, is, I would generally say, is having a plan for a non-probate transfer of your assets. Keep it out of the court system. It'll make it easier for everybody. Uh, save money, save time. But the last part of a good estate plan is planning for your beneficiaries. And here's what people do. People, they do two things. One, they plan for what everything is today right? I've got four kids and they're all great. And, and so I'm just going to leave everything to my four kids, right? So they're planning for today. And then they're also hoping that all of these good things that are going on in their life will stay good things. Because, you know, if you're, if you're planning for at your death, you don't know when that's going to be. Is it next week? Is it 10 years from now? Is it 20 years from now? You don't know. And, but we all know that life changes. So, the last part of a good estate plan is going to be looking at these beneficiaries, and you're going to want to address what I call the four Ds. Um, and these are the things that basically you hope don't happen, but you need to plan for them anyway. Um, and so, for example, the first one, would my first D here is death. If you're leaving stuff to humans, it's possible that one or more of those humans is not alive at the time of your death, right? So if I'm leaving everything to my four kids, I need to say, what happens if one of them predeceases me? Where do I want that share to go? And now I need to look at that next generation, or if, if that's who I'm including, right? So, for example, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a grandfather now. I, I have a, uh, a one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. Aww, and so if the, if the mother of that child were to die, I would want her share to go to uh, my granddaughter, Right. I would want the granddaughter to get that fourth. The problem is she's one and a half. Um, and, and so she can't inherit anything. She can't manage anything. And, and so I need to be able to say, well, okay, if this lands in the hands of a young person, well, then who's in charge of it, right? Maybe one of my other kids. Uh, you know, I'd like to – me personally, I'd want to keep it in the family. You know, nothing against the father, but – but he'll probably remarry, and, and I want to make sure that my stuff is there for my granddaughter and not his new wife's three kids, right? And so, you know, I'm going to say, well, okay, if my daughter dies, I want it to go to her daughter, but maybe my son can be in charge of it. And now I need to say, well, how old does that kid need to be? Because legally, you're an adult at 18, but 18-year-olds are stupid. All of them are. Um, I was. Y'all too probably were as well. Um, that, nope, that's not surprising to anybody. <laughs> it's, you, you wouldn't want to dump a bunch of assets into an eight, 18-year-old's hand, right? So I need to say, okay, one, if my daughter dies, here's who it goes to. Two, if it lands in the hands of a young person, here's in char- who's in charge of it. And three, well, they don't get, their, they don't get any say-so in this deal until maybe they're 25 or 30. 
Um, you know, uh, and, and so I'm planning for the death of a beneficiary, and I'm looking beyond that. Uh, the second D is disability. None of my children are disabled right now. They're all perfectly healthy. They're all adults. They're all perfectly healthy, but they're all one car wreck away from it. And we have a tendency, you know, you're, we had the conversation about long-term care and Medicaid. And when people start having this conversation, they think inevitably in the back of their mind, they're picturing an old person. Mm-hmm. But you can go into any nursing home, and sure, there's plenty of old people, and there's a few young ones. And, and so if you have a child that becomes disabled, they're often on need-based government benefits, SSI, Medicaid, government housing programs, food programs, uh, the health insurance covered by federal programs or state programs. The receipt of an inheritance then immediately disqualifies them from all of these government benefits. Um, and, and so the actual the receipt of an inheritance can, in many cases, do more harm than good if you cause the beneficiary to lose their critical health insurance that's taking care of their you know, disabilities. And so we want to plan for a disability. Um, divorce. Uh, that's a that's another big D out there, right? And so I, I think if I'm asking, I've, I've never talked to a, a family and I say, hey, if uh, if if you die and you leave assets to your kids, and one of their kids runs off with the pool boy, <laughs> do you want the, pool, the him and the pool boy to take half of their stuff? You know, nobody's ever said, oh yeah, give them half, right? So we want to have a plan for you know if if you leave assets into the hands of a, a child or or some other beneficiary that's in a bad marriage relationship or could become a bad marriage relationship, and then the last one is debts. Um, you know, just as an example, I, I I can't tell you how many people say, oh well, you know, I've gotten to a certain age and I need to go add my son to my bank account so that uh, if something happens to me, he would be able to write checks. Um, and, and, and that way he won't have any problems. Well, I'll give you an example. I had a lady and she thought that very thing. And she went down to the bank and she said, I want to add my son to my bank accounts. And she did. And the bank got the son's name and his, his social security number and his date of birth and his address and all of that. And that afternoon, the attorney general for the state of Texas wiped out every account mother had. (gasps) Son was behind on child support. Oh no. Whoops. Um, of course, mom didn't know he was behind on child support. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if your kids have tax debts, if they, if they have unpaid child supports, uh, if maybe, maybe nothing, no fault of their own, right? Maybe they were just in a car wreck and they've been sued or they lost their job and couldn't pay their mortgage so they had to file bankruptcy. But we don't want to expose the inherited assets to the creditors of the children. So, so we want a plan that's going to have, that's going to protect from a divorce, from a disability, from these debts out there, and, and one that's also going to ha- have addressed some of these other issues. And, and just as an, as an example, I, I, I mean, I'm going to use my own family, for example. So my parents, when my parents were in their mid-60s, I created a trust for them. One of the key points of the trust that I created for them was that the assets that are in their trust would not count towards their eligibility for Medicaid if they ever needed long-term care. That's a special type of trust, but it can be done. And so we we created the trust. That way, if they need long-term care, those assets are not exposed. Assets in the trust are going to pass automatically to me. I'm an only child. So when they die, their trust becomes my trust. The trust doesn't end. It just becomes my trust. And my trust is not married to my wife, so if she runs off with the pool boy, she doesn't get half of it. 
my trust is not disabled. So if I'm disabled, the assets are not going to count towards my eligibility for SSI and Medicaid and stuff like that. Um, you know, if uh, um, you know, if I have creditors, if if you know I've I've been sued or something, those aren't those aren't my assets. They belong to the trust, and the trust doesn't owe anybody any money. So those assets are not going to be subject to my creditors. And if I should die before my parents, then that's going to go to my four kids. Now, my four kids are all legally adults, meaning that they're over the age of 18, but that doesn't make them smart and, and responsible. So if they happen to be in our planning under 30 years old, we have somebody who, uh, or some entity that would be in charge until they get to 30. And so we've planned for all of these sort of things. My parents' long-term care, non-probate transfer at death, and then shielding the inherited assets for the, the problems that I may have going on in the future. So that's what a good estate plan looks like. Yeah, having someone with that experience and who can sort of foresee these potential uh, bumps in the road along the way is, is really, really helpful. We'll spe- we're speaking with John Ross. John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer, and we've got one more segment with him right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. And on the line, we have John Ross. John is an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer. And we're talking all about wills and trusts. And Mary, we've covered a lot of ground so far. But, you know, a lot of the scenarios that we've depicted are um, kind of, I I guess, the the traditional family. But Mm -hmm. there may be some of us who don't have that. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of cases in, in the work that I do where, you know, there's not a, a ton of family around. There might be caregivers or friends or, um, you know, the, your typical support. But John, talk to us a little bit. If there is a reason, is there a reason to estate plan if you don't have anyone to leave assets to? Yeah. Well, and one question I get a lot is uh, they'll say, well, John, when uh, you know, who needs your services? Who, who, who could benefit from your services? And I'll say, generally speaking, if, if, if you answer, you know, three questions in the negative, uh, you know, basically, if you are single, have no children, and broke, you probably don't need anything. The problem is, is that, that almost everybody at some stage in life is going to answer a question to, to at least one of those three, right? So, uh, you know, and I've often, I've often kind of joked that, you know, uh, some of my wealthiest clients are ones that have no spouse. They have no kids. Um, in fact, it, that's, a, that's a great way to uh, not spend all of your money um, is don't have kids. Um, they'll, they'll wipe you out faster than anything. Um, and so, 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 
but but just for example, this this last week, I did an estate plan for a lady. She's she's never been married. Um, she has uh, she has no children. Um, now she's accumulated assets and she owns a house and she has some other stuff. And and really, there was there was there was two things that were really critically important to her. One was Leah. Now. Leah would sound like, maybe, what, is that maybe a niece of hers or somebody like that? Nope. Uh, Leah is a Shependo, uh, which I had never heard of, but apparently that is a Norwegian herding dog. And it's an AKC registered uh, Shependo that does all kinds of tricks and and she takes it to competitions and all kinds of stuff. This is so and, me. And this is so me in my future life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... And so we actually created the estate plan that, that if, if my client dies and, and Leah, the, the Shependo, is still alive, then we've, we've actually created a trust for the dog. Um, and, and we're going to allow the home to stay in the trust where the dog can continue to live in the home. We have funds that are there to make sure that the utilities and the property taxes and the insurance can be maintained, that we have caregivers that can be provided to maintain the dog and go out for walks and do all the things. Um, and, and then it, either at the dog's death or if the dog has already predeceased her, um, then we've got some charitable beneficiaries. Uh, you know, she's got. Uh, she wanted her money to be set aside so it could be used for uh, providing service animals to um, to disabled people and veterans and stuff like that. So, you know, I, if you've got some assets, you don't have to have any family. But if you've got some assets, you you you, you know, who do, who do you want to get this? And let's maybe we can do something good with them. And and I I've often found that people that that don't have the, the, those families surrounding them, but they do have other things. They may have pets that, that they are critically care for. Um, they'll, they'll often, uh, in fact, when I have clients in and, and I'll ask them, uh, you know, do you have any children? No. Often the next question I'll, I'll ask is, well, tell me about your pets then. <laughs> and, um, and of course, I'm in, I'm in rural East Texas. And so uh, I, I actually asked this question to somebody about two months ago, and they got a big smile on their face. And they said, yeah, let me tell you about Tails, our pet possum. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And we looked at pictures of Tails, and they had Tails sitting there on the couch watching TV with them. And uh, all kinds of stuff. So, but you know that's some. And and then again, you know, charitable beneficiaries. Um, you know, there's there's lots of charities out there that would that would uh, love to to benefit from somebody's estate. And and so you can leave a lasting legacy just because you don't have humans to leave it to. That doesn't mean that there's not plenty of worthy causes out there. Mm-hmm. That's that is awesome. I uh, the this whole conversation I have been rejoicing because I just I feel every every point that you have made about dogs and that's that is the life I'm living right now so I appreciate you touching on that um, as we finish out the show here what do you suggest for those who are just starting to think about estate and retirement planning any hot tips that you have for our listeners well the one thing I would say is is plan um, it, it, Put put something together. You're you're going to need something. And 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 the biggest mistake that I see most people make is is the failure to plan. And and this is not uh, this is not a new concept. Um, the failure to plan. You can go back into biblical times. Uh, there's the story in the Old Testament of Jacob and Esau, uh, their dad Isaac. 
um, uh, Isaac's plan was to bestow his bequest on his oldest son, Esau. Um, but does he actually do it? No. He waits until he's blind, he's bedridden, he's, uh, he knows he's about to die. But even then, he, he wants to have one last meal, and so he sends Esau out to go hunt some, for some food. And while Esau is out hunting for food, here comes Jacob. He, he wraps himself in goat fur uh, so that he can pretend like he's his big, hairy beast of a brother. Um, and and manipulates this poor, incapacitated man into bestowing his blessing on the child he never intended to. Right? So, I mean, there's an Old Testament story of how your failure to plan can totally derail your intentions. It doesn't matter that, that here's what you've told people, here's what you think, here's what you want to happen. If you don't have a concrete plan of making this work, something is going to go wrong along the way. And so get with people that know what they're doing. You know, go find an attorney that does this as a specialty. Don't go back to the person that did your divorce in 1975 or got your kid out of a DWI last year, right? Somebody that does this for a living and say, I want a plan that protects my estate while I'm alive. And in case I need nursing home care or whatever it is, I want a plan that's going to make the transition at my death as smooth and easy as possible on everybody else. And I want a plan to protect my beneficiaries, whether they be humans or dogs or, or charities or whatever. But I want to, I want to address these issues and, and, and put all of this stuff together so that when I go home that night after I've completed all of this, I can take that out of the back of my brain as this constant worry that's been itching at me for the last decade. And, and I, I have clients all the time that say, you know, I, I just feel so relieved now that I know it's going to be okay. And, and, and I want all of the people that are listening, that, that if you've never had that feeling, I want you to have that feeling. So go out there and get it done. That's great advice. John, if folks want to learn more about you or Ross and Schulmeyer, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, there's two ways. You could go to uh, you could go to my website, which is uh, uh, rossandschulmeyer.com, um, and and we've got a lot of blog articles on there that you could read about all of this sort of stuff. Um, it, welcome to even reach out to me personally through the through the website. We've got a little chat. Uh, bot on there and and uh, they can get you to me. The other thing is I also host a podcast um, called Big Picture Retirement and uh, and it's we talk about all of this sort of stuff and and we've got uh, over a couple of hundred episodes on there and so uh, bigpictureretirement.com or find it on your podcast app or whatever you like. So yeah, lots of ways to to hear more from me if you want to. Excellent. bigpictureretirement.com or Ross and Schulmeyer. Com. He's John Ross, an estate planning attorney with Ross and Schulmeyer. John, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. This was just uh, an incredibly thorough discussion, and you gave us a lot of things to think about and a lot of great insights. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, that will do it for us today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Don't forget you can find past episodes of Aging Matters at WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button there. You'll find the Aging Matters section. You can share this show. Maybe you know someone who might benefit from listening to it or any of our past shows as well. WPTF.com to learn more. We hope that you will join us again next weekend. You have been listening to 
Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.